0: Today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. Want to give your student-athletes something that'll create excitement and loyalty in your program? Go to legendrings.com and see how colleges all over the country are doing it right now. Plus, stay tuned later in the show for a special offer just for you, coach. And now, it's time for the show.
1: That's right, it's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly
0: Podcast with your host, Dr. Anthony Fauci's personal masseuse and
1: America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey coach, look, here's the deal. Most college leaders, most college coaches don't go through the process of determining exactly what they're all about, exactly where they want their program to go, and taking this big-picture view of how they're then going to do that step-by-step, category-by-category. And today's guest we're going to talk to, a fellow coach of yours. He's not going to claim to be an expert in this. He's not going to say he has all the answers. But he's done something, I think, that is really good and powerful for his program. And I wanted to share it because I think more coaches should do this. I've said for years, coaches should host a podcast. Coaches should... Uh, write a book. Um, Coaches should be blogging on a regular basis. Why is that? Because when you do that, number one, it tells the rest of the world what you're all about and it is a way to chronicle and establish who you are uh, as a coach, as a thought leader. But, But also it helps you as a coach define what you're all about for your own purposes. So if we're trying to build a program, if we're trying to become better It really helps to establish what our thoughts on that are because your way of getting better and building a program is going to be different than a competitor's who is going to be different from that other coach and that other program and so on down the line. And that's where I think this is valuable. So today's conversation that we're going to have is with a coach who kind of went out on a limb and did something that most coaches don't ever do. He wrote a book and in it, it has helped him establish what he wants his coaching career to be all about as well as the program he coaches in. And I think it's a good model to serve, uh, to serve all of you from. So, uh, today's guest is Giancarlo Lemmy. He is the associate head coach of women's tennis at Liberty University, uh, accomplished tennis player, great coach. He's been there for a while. But in talking with him and and reading his latest work, which is called "The Court of Excellence," and I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Although you could just go to uh, Amazon and uh, and order it. It's called "The Court of Excellence." And when in talking to him, what you're going to hear is somebody who really was trying to find uh, his own center, the the thing that was going to guide how he developed his program, how he developed himself as a coach. And you're going to hear some of his philosophies because that's what I'm, it's always interesting to hear how coaches approach building a program. And I know you like that too, because you tell me, and that's something that we want to do, but I think it's going to prompt some ideas on your part. What can you do to more effectively establish your own thoughts, your own philosophies that you operate from, whether it's in building a program Developing a game plan, certainly on the recruiting side, which Coach Lemmy talks a lot about in his book, which is uh, one of the other reasons I love it, and I think it's going to just help crystallize that. Especially if you're a young coach, or maybe you're a veteran coach, but you've just taken over a program for the first time, or it's a new tra- a new job, challenging environment. This is going to help you be better. Um, and so that's what we wanted to talk to Coach Lemmy about his new book, The Court of Excellence, but also. Uh, just how he went about this thought process and why he feels it's important for other coaches to uh, to do the same. So listen and learn from this first-time author, longtime head coach Giancarlo Lemmy, on his new book, "The Court of Excellence."
0: We we all need a a, a true north, like a compass pointing north, um, when we make decisions. And college coaching is not just about X's and O's. It's you know I tell our volunteer coach here. He wanted to get involved in the college coaching because he loved tennis. And I said, 95% of our job has nothing to do with tennis. You know, if you want to go, sure. you know, be in, inside tennis, you should probably just go to a country club and teach tennis all day. Um, but I think it it makes it it makes it makes fun and it makes it engaging when, when a coach starts developing self-awareness about what he or she stands for in every area of that job. And so it starts with recruiting and it goes to, core beliefs and student athlete development and how do you deal with donors and, and right. you know, parents and support staff and, you know, all those aspects of your program um, and sitting down and, and thinking to yourself, what do I believe in? You know, because I think when you're starting to write down and when I starting to write the book and I'm like, people are actually going to read it and they're going to be able to hold me accountable to what I'm saying. And, um, I think it's it's important for the coach to really nail down what, what he or she believes in.
1: So that that philosophy, that that core belief, um, why is it so important for a college coach in all the other areas of the job that you just outlined? Because it isn't just about tennis or football or yeah. softball or track and field or whatever your sport is. It you almost you, you step into this, and I think it's something that a lot of coaches aren't prepared for. The the CEO aspect of of the job. You mentioned fundraising, all these things that a coach steps into and they figure out they have to learn how to do these things uh, after they get the coaching job. How specifically does a philosophy help you manage through that? And the the other question I would have is when you don't know what to expect, uh, even seasoned coaches that maybe switch from division three to division one or start in division one, they get a head coaching job in division three and it's a different system. How do you create a philosophy uh, for that new environment? Or does the environment dictate the philosophy that you create? Yeah, I
0: think you always have to be adapting. And, and that's something in my in the book I write about is I hope that 10 years from now that the book would actually look different. That some of those philosophies are actually a little different because the world is changing. Social media changed everything in recruiting, you know, obviously. Um but the world is changing and if you're if your philosophy is not adaptable then you're gonna you're gonna die you know in, in quotation marks you're gonna die in the job because you need to be able to adapt and I, in the book i talk about coach k and, and and belichick and those coaches have had success for decades you think their philosophy is still the same as when the year one of their their stay it's completely different but i think having that self-awareness maybe after every season Go go over your coaching philosophy and be like, hey, is this something that needs to be changed or this is something that maybe this this year, this part of the philosophy didn't work, but that was because there was a pandemic or because there's completely different players on the team that are not bought into the to, to the program um, and have that self-awareness um, to, to be able to either change your coaching philosophy, adapt it um, or maybe just just continue to stay with it.
1: So this brings up sort of an interesting topic. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on it. The, the idea that you, a coach can, and maybe even should adapt or change their philosophy. And a lot of coaches, I think would hear that and say, well, hold on a second. I, my core philosophy, win or lose, rain or shine, no matter where I'm at, this is the way I'm going to operate. Um, where which, which approach is right? Or is there a right approach? It's just up to the individual to say, Here, here's how I'm going to, to operate.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, it, it is up to everyone. Um, it's just been my experience that if, if you don't adapt to the times that you have a much harder time, you know, um, um, finding the right kind of recruits they want, um, you know, leading a whole program with support staff and, and parents and donors, um, I think everyone's needs are changing. The way we communicate with parents now is different from even just ten years ago. You know, right. I had players ten years ago that I never spoke to the parent for four years, and they were just fine. You mm-hmm. know, and the parents at the end, they grad, the kids graduate, they send me an email, thank you so much for taking care of my kid, it was incredible. Now I have parents that I have to almost message on a you know weekly basis, six to nine days. The parent is emailing me, you know, right. and and they and I feel like I have to be able to. Figure that balance out, and so it, it, it's obviously up to the coach. But it's been my experience with a lot, a lot of coaches, and talking to coaches now, and I have my own podcast, so I speak with a lot of other coaches. Um, that that if you're not changing your program, is is, is dying, and um, and so I think you you got to have a certain set of beliefs that are core to you, right? And in my book, I talk about communication and resilience, and um, and service. And and a few others, but those things are not going to change. I want to be about resilience and service and curiosity, but the way I incorporate those 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 core beliefs into my program are going to
1: change. Right. All right. So let's let's go through some of the things that you focus on in the book, um, just as as topics. And I don't want you to repeat obviously what the book says, but I'd love to get your thoughts on why some of these things that you've incorporated and talked about. And you've already mentioned here on on the uh, on the podcast in our conversation why this all kind of flows back to a core philosophy, uh, and maybe maybe it, it's going to you know prompt coaches to think about that philosophy and incorporate areas that they maybe wouldn't naturally you know come up with a philosophical plan on, um, and one thing of course i appreciate is that you started very early in the book with recruiting which makes sense because it's one of the first parts of developing your team it's the beginning point yeah but philosophically can you just walk me through number one what some of your recruiting philosophies are and also how you developed them like what were what were the the uh, inflection points and in, in, where where did you have to change and adapt uh you know, again since this is a recruiting focus podcast yeah. i'm gonna have you yeah. start and, and maybe dig in a little bit first on that topic
0: yeah you're right so the the philosophy my philosophy and it's the court of excellence that's what i named it um, the recruiting part is right outside the court right because they're still mm-hmm. not a part of the program and, and so that belongs on, on the outside of the court, but it's still a part of a big part of the program. And that's why I put it in first. Right. Um, and then on the other end of the court, you see mental toughness because at least in tennis and a lot of sports, you spend a lot more time just thinking and on yourself instead of actually playing the sport. Um, but with the recruiting, it, it came down to, and I, a lot of your, um, your program is based on figuring out your avatar, right. And figuring mm-hmm. out your perfect avatar. And it took a lot of, thinking and talking to our staff about who do we want to recruit right and and effort and it also changes and we talked about adapting mm-hmm. when we first started the program we couldn't we couldn't recruit okgs that we call it our our kind of girl which you know he has to have good academics great um, tennis you know great obviously good sport um, good tennis skills um, but a champion mindset and good energy We had to sacrifice a little bit of that for just pure talent because we were not very good and we needed to build the program up. And so for those first few years, we focused a lot more on talent to build up the program to a level where we could keep our jobs, right? Uh, Without obviously sacrificing the values of the university. But now we've gotten to a level where we we can look past talent. Now we've gotten to a level where everyone we talk to has the, the minimum amount of talent necessary to win at the division one and now we can really look at their character and their their energy that they have with the players on the team with the coaches how do they react in between matches at tournaments with their you know friends and 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 those things those things are the things we're paying a lot more attention to nowadays um but again it 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 starts to figuring out maybe pick one player that you've had in the past that you're like this is the ideal player you know and i think we've all had one um, and then you also got to figure out which one is the non-ideal player, like which is a player that I've had in the past that I want to avoid at all costs. And what are those, um, traits that that person had so that you can contrast, compare, and then judge most of your recruiting based on what you really want and what you really do not want. Um, and if you're able to find a lot more of the girls that you, that meet, that meet all your criteria for an OKG, um, I think you're going to build a great program.
1: So you brought up something interesting about building a program and at the start, you may be a coach listening to this, that's inherited a program or they're in the midst of rebuilding a program. And what you just touched on coach is something that I hear a lot of coaches struggling with is I have my ideal player. I have my, you know, I know what this place is all about, whatever that means at that particular school. And yet do I, do I sacrifice the, you know, you know, do I take on the, the, the high maintenance parent and the kid with talent, but you know, a little bit of an attitude problem, but they're going to be so good that they're going to build the program faster. um, Or do I stick with whatever my philosophy is and just, you know, not take those because I would say out in the the marketplace, I hear more about, look, don't sacrifice what you want your culture to be, what you want your um, uh, you know, your philosophy to be, you know, the the kids have to fit that versus what you just outlined, which at at the division one level, you have to win to keep your job. And so can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of coaches connect with that, that struggle because they're in the middle of it. How did you handle it? And what were some of the choices you had to make? Just maybe dig a little bit deeper into that whole process as you were building the program.
0: I think you first have to figure out from your, um SWA or your athletic director what their expectations are right and figure out why the previous guy got fired that's mm-hmm. one thing that coaches don't 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 pay attention to right. is and we see that a lot in professional sports a coach replaces another coach and makes the same exact mistakes the previous guy were making and so we that was one thing that that coach Marin and I really uh, um, really focused on was talking to the current players when we got the job what went wrong right mm-hmm. and then try to completely shift shift the the focus to what things were, were going right already and the things that we need to be much better at um, and then we talked to the the athletic directors like what are your expectations for us do you want us to win now or are you okay giving us five six years to build a program um, what is, what are your expectations and and at first was, hey, you don't necessarily need to win now, but we need to see some growth. And so you start looking at girls, or in our case, girls who who were were good tennis players, who were better than the girls we currently had, and and that were at least not going to go completely against what, what the university stood for and, and the values of the university. And 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 from then on, we started to apply our coaching philosophy in all areas into those new girls. And, and it took a process, you know, it probably took us four or five years, but the athletic directors were patient. They, they told us that we had time. Now, if you get into a job where maybe the program is top 25, but the the university thinks you should be a top 10 team, then that's a different, different issue that you have to, to work through with your athletic director and figure out, can I bring some, Maybe some troublemakers. Hey, we're going to be top ten, but that means that we might have a few a few issues on on campus. And I think a lot of more of the money programs, like basketball, football, those those programs that that are on TV, and they really need to win now because everyone is watching. Um, I think that's when they get in trouble.
1: So interesting that you bring up something that you would assume, as as I'm hearing you talk, would be kind of obvious that you need to meet with your athletic director, find out why they didn't like the last coach, whatever that reason was, and then get their buy-in on what is the timing. Um I don't think a lot of coaches do that when they take the job. They go through the interview process, everything's great, we're happy to have you here. Coach goes to his office, AD goes back to their office and that's there's there's that quiet tension that develops. Um what were the things or, or again, if a I'm picturing a coach listening to this that's either brand new to the job or newer into the job where there's still time to go back to the AD and, and have that conversation. Can you give them some advice on two or three things maybe to go in and start with asking as they, as they start a new year, as they kind of start building their program, what would be some of the things that they should go over with that athletic director or just ask them that would help build that communication and, and build the, uh, kind of build a, not just a personal coaching and development philosophy, but one that's going to match what the, the athletic director and yeah. leaders want. I think that
0: the another issue is that a lot of athletic directors never coached before. Mm. And so athletic directors,
1: or it's been a long, long time since they have, or has
0: been a long time in right. 30 years that they haven't coached. And so they don't know what your needs are, what your, you know, what, what the, 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 the environment of college coaching looks like underneath the Like in the trenches, you know they know. Yeah, I need to sign a ESPN contract, and I need to have this and that Title IX and all those things. But but they don't really know the day to day operations of a coach, you know. And so I think it's up to you to us as coaches to inform them of what of what's happening in the program. And and one thing we do is we you know Coach Marin a lot more than I do um, with our athletic directors. He communicates what's going on in the program. Hey, just went to. This tournament. This is what happened. We, you know, this player so and so did well. Blah blah blah. Hey, we saw a need that maybe we need to buy more cameras to record more matches, and 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 that would help us in this area. But being very blunt in your communication—not blunt, in, I mean rude—just direct and being and very direct. Conversation, yeah. Yes, Um, and being very um, intentional in in just communicating what's happening in your program. On a, on a day-to-day basis. Not you don't have to email your AD every day, but get that constant communication initiated by you because the AD is thinking about another 27 different things that she, he or she needs to get done. I um, it's up to you to continue that conversation. And here at Liberty, um, the, our, our SWA does a great job of reaching out to the coaches and, and initiate that conversation. But I think we we go a little bit more above and beyond to start the com- you know, communication liking what you hear on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, then you're going to love our special training and information site, Honey Badger Recruiting. It's where Dan Tudor and his team of experts answer recruiting questions, publish the latest trends and research, and give college coaches the next level training they need to connect with their prospects visit DanTutor.com and click on the Honey Badger link to become a subscriber. And if you're already signed up, make sure you're up to date with all the latest information the Tudor Collegiate Strategies team has for you today. Again, just go to DanTutor.com and click the Honey Badger link. It's your secret weapon in the nonstop battle to win the best recruits.
1: Hey coach, it's Dan, and it's a fact. A lot of college athletic departments are trying to figure out How do we regain our momentum? How do we build the culture we want? And most of all, how do we create dedicated alumni? When they leave the program, they stay involved. They stay dedicated. They say good things about us. Well, I have an answer. LegendRings.com. You heard about it maybe on the podcast last year. So many coaches and athletic directors went over to LegendRings.com and were blown away by what they could create and design on their own through the website to give their student athletes. This is something that they remember. This is something that every athlete in the country wants to have, which is a memento of all the hard work they put in. Now, maybe that's for a championship season, an MVP award, or just because you want to give your team something to remember the year by. This is the answer that a lot of coaches are turning to. And And it is so incredibly budget-friendly, it's going to amaze you. So go to LegendRings.com, and if you do, mention that you heard it from Dan Tudor and the College Recruiting Weekly podcast. They are going to give you a special gift as a coach. You're going to love it. That's LegendRings.com. Go take a look, coach. Heading into the most
0: challenging recruiting year of their careers, what are more and more college coaches and athletic directors using to give them an edge? ARI Recruiting. It does more than all the other recruiting contact management apps and websites do. With no lag time, no lost information, and plenty of next-generation features that has it beating the competition day in and day out. Oh, and did I mention it's probably a lot less than what you're using now? Go to arirecruiting.com now, get a demo, and find out why this is the recruiting tool you've been waiting for. And another thing is, just go and say hi. Hi. Like, literally stop by their offices once every so often and just ask, hey, how's it going? Is there anything you can do, I can do to help you? Um, just, just that little touch will, will go a long way in developing good report with the athletic director. And he'll be more, he or she will be much more prone to listening to what you have to say
1: um, in the end. Right. Um, so my fault, I diverted a little bit from recruiting into you know, the relationship with the athletic director, but just to, to wrap up the recruiting part, yeah. um, the two or three things that philosophically you have sort of built recruiting or your recruiting philosophy on, um, what what are those things? Not that they're right yeah. for everybody, but just Correct. You know, since you, you've yeah. written a book sort of centered around developing a philosophy. Yeah. What are they and how did you come about those those philosophies?
0: Yeah, so... So this is the, the, the areas that I look at, right? And uh, as, right. as a staff, and in the book, I, every, at the end of each chapter, I do give them some action steps that, that they can then move on and, and develop their own. Um, but ours is the acronym of ACE. Um, since we're a tennis school, it's A, C, and E. So academics, um, liberty, or liberty is a public uh, private school. So academics is very important here. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as tennis is such a huge mental game that if you're not able to withstand the pressures of managing high school and tennis, odds are you're probably not going to be very successful in, in college, at D1, right. in a in a private university. And so we look at academics a lot, um, maybe a lot more than most programs do. Mm-hmm. Um, the C is for champion mindset. And obviously, that, that has to do with winning tournaments and being a good tennis player. But a lot more to do with... Um, are you curious? Do you really want to learn? Do you have the hunger, you know, to, to continue to get better? Because at at the D1 level, every, every girl that is on our team was the MVP of her team back then, you know? And so sometimes when they come in as a freshman and we have a senior who's been here for four years and she's 23 years old, she, she, you know, she might get, you know, she might get a little fearful, a little scared and be like, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. But the ones who really want to learn, who have, you know, who have that mentality of, continuing to grow um, those are the ones who who really stand out in the recruiting process for us um, and then the last one is energy um, official visits is key and and your staff has come over on campus and helped us develop a, a great official visit um, and and i think allowing the player to spend time with your current players allow the recruit to spend as much time with our players because now our team is full of girls who we want really want here. Mm -hmm. And so they know exactly who we're looking for, too. And they will be completely honest with you. You know, they have no bias. And they'll tell you exactly um, the, the, you know, what the down low is on this recruit. And we've had girls who an hour into the visit will text us and say, this girl is my best friend. Like mm-hmm. I want to live with her forever. Or, and sometimes there's girls who are like, please not this one, please, please, yeah. please not this one, you know? Yeah. And that, again, that you're, li- thinks, you're
1: listening and giving them a voice. So that's yes. Cool. Yes. Yeah. And,
0: and they're not, be surpri- they're not going to be surprised by the people who show up on campus next fall. Right. They're like, Oh, I've seen this girl. I know what she's right. all about. And I said yes to this girl also, instead of, players coming in and tennis is very international. So sometimes you might not be able to bring girls on campus. Um, but having that ability and, and making them spend time and now NCAA actually allows us to make our current players call recruits. And so that is also huge. Um, you just got to be willing to, to do whatever it takes to figure out if it's a good fit, because the transfer portal is just incredibly packed. And that's a lot because of recruiting with no philosophy in mind.
1: Yeah. So let me, one quick follow-up then I'm going to move well, on to a different <laughs> topic aside from recruiting, but um, you brought up something that, again, I hear a lot of coaches struggle with, especially if they're taking over or building a program and it's not quite where they want it. They don't have the kids on the team that uh, that are there yet. And you sort of went through that experience a little yep. bit too, when you guys were, were building uh, your program, but To the coach who would say look i don't know if i want the recruit hanging out with this with these girls because i didn't recruit them or they're not the level i want or personalities and yet it's such a crucial part of that connection for the prospect what did you do early on to kind of get around that or what would you advise a coach to do who is in the middle of building and not quite there with the the great group of kids who can you know sing the same song
0: Yeah, that was, um, those first few years, we had a lot of heartbreak in recruiting because we as coaches developed that relationship really well with the recruit. And then we brought them on campus and they just didn't mesh well with the current team. And so we, we decided that we were going to sell the coaching staff and the program more than, than the girls at that time. And it didn't take very long. We started, um, getting enough girls that then we could just make them the host and, and, and that helped the process. Right. But I think being completely honest with the recruit is so helpful. Like, mm. Hey, as you see, we just took over this program. We were not mean and kicked everybody off and started brand new. We care about these girls enough to continue their education and let them get a degree. But that's not where we see ourselves three years from now, when you will be a junior and you will be playing number two for us and you'll be helping us win conference championships. Um, and the girls who said yes and they 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 understood those were the girls that we built our our program on, you know, and so four years into the program, we cycled everybody that was on the program before we got here, and we had already enough OKGs to to just skyrocket in the rankings and and getting great results.
1: And again, you as you're describing that and the transition that you made, there's that adaptability that even though the philosophical approach is different now and maybe where you want it, it wasn't that way at the beginning, but you had to build the team. And so there, there was that adaptability, which yeah. uh, again, just underscores what you said earlier. Okay. So let's move on to some other areas in, in, you know, that that it would encompass an overall philosophy of how you run a program. And you mentioned some of the things that I know coaches hate, or at least they just didn't expect when they got into coaching stuff like fundraising and, going out and, you know, community stuff and, you know, all the, the non-coaching drama that goes around uh, in running a program. Uh, as you started, as you were building that program, what were the learning points that, that you, you sort of experienced? Um, let's start there. Maybe what, what surprised you or, or what, what were you not expecting or didn't realize there was, you know, it was going to take up this much of a percentage of your day doing X, whatever that was?
0: Yeah, I think first to to preface the, the answer is we get promoted and that happens in coaching, but as well as in the business world, we get promoted to managers or coaches because we were great individual contributors. Like we had great sales numbers and we, we were great tennis players or whatever. And we get promoted to a position where none of those skills are helpful whatsoever. <laughs> right. Like nobody cares about my serve when I'm the coach. Like they they don't care about that anymore. That that has no value whatsoever. But nobody also prepares us for those things. So you get hired as a as a first time coach, because you're a great player. You have no idea what what went into coaching, um, and that was a shock to me. At first, I didn't know that it was gonna take that long to recruit somebody. I thought it was gonna be a few phone calls, and and you're like, oh, I love this place, and boom, that's it. You know. Um, my experience recruiting, I'm, i was from Brazil back before social media, back before YouTube, I had to mail DVDs to coaches from Brazil to America. Like, that's crazy. I spent a lot of money just doing yeah. that. Um, and then, you know, the, the, there was not much relationship building because I was in Brazil. There's no WhatsApp. There was no, there was Skype. Skype was starting up. And so we could have some conversations, but then you had to pay to call and that was absurd. Um, and so I think I, I talked to my head coach about three times before I committed and that's it. And, and, and now you gotta, you gotta be able to reach out a lot more often and develop the relationship because you have accessibility. Um, the other thing was fundraising and parents. I had no idea as a college player, how much went into that, right? And I just knew when to show up to the van, when to show up to the plane and we were going, we were play tennis and come back, had nothing to do with budget. Nothing to do with nothing, you know. I did complain about going to Subway too many times, but now I understand why. Um and
1: <laughs> now that you're paying for it, you <laughs> Yes, now that I'm
0: paying mean. for it, it's like, well, yeah, Subway <laughs> sounded pretty good. Um and, and and I think it it as coaches, we have to be open-minded and we can't just think I'm all about X's and O's because you only get 20 hours a week. What are you gonna do with the rest of those time, th- you know, that time? Um, and so coach Marin had done a great job of putting a staff together that is complimentary, right? So coach Marin loves the X's and O's like, he loves it. And he could be on the court all day. Um, I am more of the, the behind the scenes guy who does all the paperwork. I love paperwork, give me paperwork, I'll get it done, you know? And so we've meshed in a way that when it's practice time, it's coach Marin's time to shine. But when it's budget and recruiting and you know talking to parents and and donors and figuring out different strategies, then then that's me, and yeah. um and I think a lot of the coaches maybe just hire someone who's just like them, and then they struggle to figure out why nothing gets done.
1: You know. So the, the whole again of approaching a philosophy that extends out to how you build your staff, uh, I would imagine. And yep. What are and you mentioned one mistake maybe that 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 happens. I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen where a head coach gets the job and they hire their best friend or their buddy from college or their um, their you know somebody that that just is more of a personal reason for hiring and not strategic. Um, so I, I guess maybe I'm answering my own question, but that that really does go into the the philosophical approach yes. that that you, it comes- that you need to define.
0: It comes with self awareness, figuring out what am I good at, what do I enjoy doing, and what I'm very bad at, right? And so, I I taught tennis in the summers during during college, and I would be on the court ten hours a day in the heat, and I figured out very easily very soon that that was not for me, you know. Um, And so, I still love tennis. I still love playing tennis uh, every once in a while, but I really love the background work that goes with college coaching, Um, and and it takes self-awareness to figure that out. If you're never sitting down and thinking, what am I good at? Or what am I bad at? Then you're not going to be able to compliment yourself with a staff that, that, that does the other things that you don't want to do. And if you're the head coach, you have that privilege, right? You have the privilege of, a, of, a, of getting to pick who, right. who is your... And, and if you're the assistant coach, it, it, it could be up to you during the interview process to ask your, the, the, your future head coach, hey, what are you really good at? What are your expectations of me? Because on the NCAA website, everyone copy and paste the the job requirements, right? You have to be good at budgeting, you have to be good at recruiting, you have to be good at this, you gotta be good at that. But you don't know the specifics of the program and nobody even talks about it.
1: So a couple more questions, Um, going back to something you kind of just touched on talking about assistant coaches where they don't have the power that a head coach does. And for an assistant coach listening to this who has never really thought about, well, what's my coaching philosophy? Because I'm just an assistant, I have to do what the head coach wants. Is there a way and should they as an assistant develop a coaching philosophy or a, a I guess, you know, yeah, just a coaching philosophy? Yeah. Uh, um, is that, is now the time or do they wait until you become a head coach?
0: No, no. Now this is the time, right? I'm, I'm an associate head coach which is just right. a fancy term for a fancy assistant coach, you know? Um, <laughs> and, but, but you have to start right when you first get the job, right? If I can, if I can get my book into the hands of first-time assistant coaches, then they can start thinking about their coaching philosophy, fully knowing that they might not be able to um, implement those things into their program, right? Coach Marin has been great in allowing me to have the freedom of trying new things and testing out some of the things that I believed in that maybe necessarily he didn't believe in, Um, and I talk about in the book as... A lot of this is my philosophy, you know, um, that whenever, if I ever become a head coach, this is what I would do. And that we're currently not doing at Liberty. But a lot of the book is things that that I've, we've tested it out over the last decade that we've been together. And that really works um, because we were not, we, we were a good program. We were not great. And now we've become a, a, a elite program in, in college tennis. And so those things definitely work for us. That's why at the end of the, the chapters, I have a action steps where you can then develop your own self-awareness and what you believe in and then put it into practice.
1: Right. And as a reminder too, in the show notes of the podcast, we'll put a link to, to where to get the oh. book uh, for coaches listening. Yeah. But again, on the assistant coach side, okay, I, that, I buy into that. I'm a second year assistant coach. I'm young, never thought about my philosophy. What are the first three or four things, coach, that they should be doing? right now to develop that what what how do they start because that's like a little yeah. bit you know w- which bite of the elephant do i do i take first yes. so yeah. w- what is the starting point for them
0: yeah you bite the one that is on your fork already that's the first one you know so um it, it's figuring out what you as a person believe in right what are some three to five core beliefs that you want to be as a human being known for Right, and that's what it started with me and my wife figuring it out what our family wanted to be about, Um, and I talk about uh, at length there in the book as well. But once you figure that out, then you use that as the glasses, as the 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 worldview that you you know you sifter everything through, right? So coaching, what? How can I get curiosity into into my my coaching philosophy or the recruiting? How do I get communication into the recruiting? How do I get resilience into recruiting and then staff and donors and those things? And then, you know, you use your personal core beliefs to, to, to from there, branch out into every area of your coaching philosophy. And there's programs that maybe don't need to do fundraising, right? And that you're well-funded and the program doesn't want you to fundraise, or there's another program where you are your support staff you have no academic coordinator, you don't have a trainer, you are all of those things. So um, that, that might change your coaching philosophy a little bit from mine. But I think sitting down and, and, and figured out what are all my daily tasks that I do on a regular basis or weekly tasks, and then start putting them into pods. And then you figure out, okay, this is a recruiting pod. This is a parent pod. This is team building pod. Um, and 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 going from there, but self awareness is the first step into finding your uh, a coaching philosophy that works for you.
1: So two more questions. Uh, the first would be: you hear a lot in college coaching circles right now about culture, uh, books on culture, workshops on culture, speakers come in talk about culture. Culture is like the that that is the thing right now. Yeah, is your coaching philosophy what you're talking about different than? building a team culture or is one sort of under the other?
0: Yeah. So I think it's, I think culture comes as the result of your coaching philosophy, right? And you can find out really good, really well, if your coaching philosophy is working is if at the end of a season, you're like, oh, this season was really good. We were one in 19, but I had a great time and there was no drama. I didn't get called into the AD's office. We were just bad tennis wise you know, but I had a great time, you know, and, or it could be, you won a national championship, but you hated every single second of it, you know? And so I think the culture comes as the result, as the, as the byproduct of having that coaching philosophy. And when the culture is bad, then look at your coaching philosophy in every area and see, was it practices that were just bad? Or was it the way I recruited that was bad? Or was it parents that were just bugging me the whole time? And, um, you know, scholarship money that was distributed the wrong way; those things um, that that I believe um, will make it for a good distinction between culture and coaching philosophy.
1: Right. Okay. So, last question, because I mentioned there's a lot of stuff out there in culture. There's a lot of books that get on a shelf of a coach uh, when they get the Court of Excellence, and I recommend that they should. How is it different than what they've been reading the last couple of years, or what else is on their shelf? How, what is the approach maybe that you took in this book that is different that coaches needed to hear that maybe other authors and people haven't, haven't yeah. focused on.
0: Yeah. I read a lot of John Wooden and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of um, other coaching books. Um, what do I have? I'm looking at my, here in my library, but a lot of, a lot of culture, Pat Lincioni, John Gordon, those are great books, great books, yeah. but they almost don't have those action steps, right? They say, this is how clemson football created their winning culture i'm like well phenomenal but i i didn't live in the same hometown as uh you know the clemson head coach like i didn't i don't know what it is to be like nick saban i have no clue like i don't i don't know what john wooden was like in the 60s like this is a new world but those books gave me ideas right and they gave me um Like, oh, maybe I'll implement this. Maybe I'll teach my kids how to put a sock on their shoe like John Wooden used to do so they don't get blisters in practice, you know? Um, And, but I've, all those books gave me ideas, but they never really pushed me to say, oh, what do I really believe about this? You know, what, how do I, how can I be more positive? It's incredible to be in the energy bus and riding everybody on the same bus together. It's great, but how do we get those, the right people in the bus? Like, how, give me some questions that I can just ask myself where then I'm like, okay, I want these people in my bus. And and we're actually reading the energy bus this year with our team. Um, I'm not dissing them, you know, but, but I feel like coaches need a more personal touch of asking themselves questions. It's it's great to read about other people and you can imitate, but odds are doing exactly what John Wooden did is not going to work for you because it's a completely different era, completely different sports possibly. And, and some of his, you know, core beliefs might still be your same core beliefs, but the way you implement that into your program can be completely different.
1: And that is how we wrapped up the conversation with Giancarlo Lemmy, the author of the new book, The Court of Excellence. Coaches have read it; they like it, and you'll like it too. And I'm going to link to it, like I mentioned in the intro, uh, in the show notes. So if you want to order it, you can do that, or you can just go to the uh, you know your favorite bookseller, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, whatever it is, and and order it there. I should also mention that Coach Lomi has a podcast. I mentioned that you know, every coach should should blog and have a podcast and uh, and put himself or herself out there. He's written a book uh, that we just talked about, but his podcast is The Christian Coach Podcast. Uh, I was lucky enough to be asked to be a guest on it, had a great conversation, and uh, I'll link to that as well if you want to hear that episode. But another good one to follow just from a standpoint of how coaches are developing themselves and their programs uh and uh, anyway, if you have interest in that then that's another one that I could recommend you following. Uh, and the book is great too and like I said, a lot of coaches are mentioning that it's helping them sort of find what he's what, what he talked about what is true North what is that thing I should be pointed at that I never uh, go away from in terms of developing my program around my philosophies, the things that work for me as a coach. So we hope you like it. we hope you like the conversation. And we, of course, are thrilled that you're following the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. We want you to subscribe. We want you to like it. We want you to leave a comment. That really means a lot, and we track those. Uh, and, of course, we, it's the ultimate compliment when you recommend it to the rest of your staff and the people in your athletic department. So please do that because we got a lot of good stuff coming up in the shows ahead, and we have a library of 100-plus episodes that you can look back on and listen to. Uh, so we love it when it's a resource for you. That's why we do this, Coach. It's it's for you. It is free, and we want to make sure we're putting together the best stuff with the best guests. Uh, so let us know what you want us to talk about, and we will continue to talk about it. Uh, any more information you need about us, go to dantutor.com, or you can email me, dan at dantutor.com. Love the emails. and love to interact with you. Uh, get to campus to do a workshop, maybe even have you become a client of what we do at Two Week Collegiate Strategies. We have 500 plus coaching programs around the country that uh, are letting us help them and we would love to help you too. So lots of good stuff at the website and we, uh, again, just thank you for listening. Hope it was helpful and we will be back again soon with another episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.
0: The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tutor Collegiate Strategies. For more information on everything we provide college coaches, athletic directors, and the rest of your campus, visit dan.tutor.com. Thanks for listening, coach.